Hey church family, my name's Ben and I'm one of the youth pastors here at PBC, which means I have the joy of hanging out with a bunch of young people and sharing Jesus with them every single week and even more often than that. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I posed a question to them that I want to challenge you with right now as well. And that question is, if you had to sum up who you are in a single word, what would you choose? All right, it's a near impossible question, near impossible task, but didn't stop our intrepid young people from giving it a crack. Um, they shout out words like, like fun or energetic, outgoing or, or hobbies like musical or artsy. I think the best responses were those who just shout out their name. But, but even then, when you share your name with like 90% of the world's population, that doesn't really tell you much about who that person is. Uh, it's a near impossible thing, but I wonder, can you sum up who you are in a single word? I can't. With the whole conversation, I don't think I'd be able to do it. Uh, but although I, I would love to be able to understand people with a single word or theme, I've come to actually really enjoy the beauty of relationships, the messiness that is relationships, wherein every encounter, every conversation, every experience shared with another person, it grows my, my, my depth, my grasp on who they are. And the same is true of, of Jesus. Same is true of the gospel. I refute the notion that the gospel is, is simple. Um, I don't believe it is. And if you want uh, evidence to that fact, then open it up every single day of your life and continue, continue to read it, and its beauty will continue to unfold before your eyes. It's a beauty that's made up of threads and themes that are, are just so intricately woven into a tapestry of grace, a tapestry of love, which ever grows as your experience of the gospel continues. Now, over the past few weeks, as a church, we've zoomed in on a couple of these threads uh, of the gospel of Jesus, forgiveness, freedom, and purpose. And each of these are wonderful, intricate parts of the gospel uh, that on their own and increasingly together are beautiful. Now, today we're picking at another thread, and that is inclusion. Asking who are the recipients of this good news of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, freedom, and purpose, they're three and a taste of God's promises that extend to include many more, such as uh, God's promise to make his people into a new creation, to forgive them. Oh, I mean, we looked at that. Uh, <laughs> his promise to love them, his promise to unify them all together, to adopt them as children, to gift them the Holy Spirit, redeem them, give them an identity, a purpose, involve them into a new kingdom. Now, there's many, many promises that go beyond this list here. Uh, but who is them? Who are the recipients of these promises? Who is to benefit? As you read uh, God's promises throughout the Bible, there's a sense that these aren't just granted universally to all people. So who is included? Uh, I would argue that Jesus' whole life on earth and his ministry is centered around the purpose of bringing the good news to the world. Every, so every time that he taught people, every time that he had a conversation, every time that he healed, uh, he was through his words and through his actions sharing the good news and sometimes both at the same time. So when we ask the question of who receives the good news of Jesus, then let's ask first, what does the gospel say? Let's pick up the gospel and see who does Jesus go to? To whom does Jesus share the good news? Because that's going to give us the answer. So I want to invite you to join me right now as I lead us through doing exactly that. I'm going to share with you some stories from Jesus' life and ask a simple question. To whom does Jesus share the good news?
And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then I I invite you uh, to taste and to ponder the radical inclusion of Christ for yourself from his lips, from his actions. And if you do have a relationship with Jesus, then I challenge you not to dismiss this message out of its simplicity, but rather to revel in, to find joy in, to celebrate the goodness of the gospel of which you are a part. So let's do it. To whom does Jesus share the good news? First, let's jump into Mark 5, start with a nice and simple one, where a loud crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, we see a beautiful declaration of the good news of Jesus through words and through action, right? As as he declares that there is healing There is peace and there is freedom from this affliction that she's been experiencing for 12 years. Those things, they're the good news of Jesus. And who is receiving it? Who is he talking to? He's talking to a woman. A group of society at that point were greatly dependent on another. Now you can open up the gospel and you can, you can clearly see Jesus declare the gospel as well to a few guys here and there, which shows us the other side of the coin that affirms a simple truth. To whom does Jesus share the gospel? Jesus doesn't share it on the basis of gender. Uh, in Mark 1, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, make, uh, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched, uh, touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now that's just, a, that's like one picture. Um, in Matthew, sorry, Matthew 15, he paints a much broader image of the same thing, uh, where he says great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw Get this. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Imagine, imagine that. Like seeing the gospel is walking out right in front of your eyes as Jesus heals person after person after person, working his way through a whole crowd. Jesus declares the good news not based on people's physical health. To the well he came, to the sick he came. The leprosy and sickness of this man in Mark and the many in Matthew didn't disqualify them from the gospel. Another story, Jesus is walking uh, through Samaria and he comes to a well where he meets a woman and they have a conversation. And this conversation ensues where Jesus, he 
points out a bit of her life story, but also shares a lot of the gospel with her. And I want to share with you just a glimpse of the gospel declaration. He says this, uh, at a time, uh, yet yeah, the time is coming and, and it's now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The good news, Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, standing right before you. Who was he speaking to? He's speaking to a Samaritan woman, uh, and the Samaritan people uh, were in cultural conflict with the Jewish people from where Jesus had come. And and we see that Jesus doesn't share good news based on racially profi- racial profiles. Jesus shares the good news beyond a single race or culture. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, which is... Awesome name. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but became, because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, uh, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. And a conversation with Zacchaeus and Jesus ensues where Zacchaeus repents and he um, gives all his money back um, that he's stolen and cheated people out of. And Jesus continues with these words. He says, today salvation has come to this house, to Zacchaeus' house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The good news, salvation and, and then some. <laughs> Who is he speaking to? A tax collector, a cheater, a scoundrel, someone despised by his own ethnic group, but not despised by Jesus. Jesus came to share the good news, not based on social status. Jesus told a story where two men went up to a temple to pray. Uh, One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. What a top fella. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. The good news is justification, but who does it go to? It doesn't go to the dude who earned it, or at least thought that he could earn it. There's no earning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul's concise words, they articulate it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, It is the gift of God. It's not from yourselves. You couldn't generate it. You couldn't work it out. You couldn't earn it for yourself. 
Jesus declares the good news not based on work. He also declares the good news not based on people's holiness or religiousness. Um, just the religious elites, they aren't the only ones who heard about the kingdom and received the good news. Otherwise, if Jesus really did care about holiness, then he would have chosen a better family, a holier family to enter into for his, his story. Now, his, the people, his ancestors, riddled with people who are questionable. Jacob, a habitual schemer. Judah collaborated with his brothers to sell their younger sibling, Joseph, into slavery. Uh, Rahab, a prostitute. David killed a guy to cover up his affair. Solomon, he turned his heart away from God. Rehoboam did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Abijah committed all the sins his father had done before him. Jesus ain't a hypocrite. If Jesus was all about purity, he would have entered the scene through a more upstanding and prestigious family, not a lineage that was riddled with stories of revenge and sexual immorality, selfish ambition, abuse of power. But he did enter into that family because Jesus, he brought the good news to people not based on their level of holiness or religiousness. See, we tend to place everyone into relative categories, right? It has to do with their looks, it has to do with their net worth, it has to do uh, with the house they live from, sometimes where they are from, the kind of car they drive, uh, social status, sometimes how they express their personality. But as we've seen to Jesus, all these things are non-issues. When it comes to the question of who can become a child of God, none of these categories hold any relevance, None of the categories of gender, health, race or culture, status, works, holiness, religiousness, none of this matters to Jesus. Any, anybody and everybody, that's who Jesus brings the good news to. Any people, any, any people category that excludes a single person in all of history is insufficient to grasp the all-inclusive good news of Jesus. Now, Paul, the author of a, of a range of books in our, in our Bible, makes this a point of emphasis. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. To honor Jesus, I think we need to treat this passage with wisdom. Paul isn't saying that all people are children of God. He's affirming that those who put their faith in Jesus are family of God, regardless of how society positions us. Jesus is willing to position and esteem us as family. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. No label disqualifies you from the good news of Jesus, but one thing is needed, faith in Jesus. But know that no label I place on you or you carry for yourself has any effect or would stop Jesus from inviting you to receive the good news of Jesus today. Now, does this message feel right? Like, like in a world that champions equality and intrinsic human rights, this, this isn't the craziest message out there. It's not the most jarring Christian teaching that I've ever heard. But if you're, if you're hearing this, Jesus invites everyone and thinking, yeah, that's the way it should be. 
then I want to challenge your thinking just a little bit and actually encourage you to shift that thinking to this isn't actually justice. It's radical. Right, where where equality in our culture is seen as the esteeming of all people. It's like a vindication of inequality. Um, Inclusion into the gospel isn't a just act. It's an act of grace. I think it's important to encourage us to to think this way because uh, it warns us away from trivializing the inclusion of the gospel. Right, It's not a moralistic attachment to the good news. It's not um, a new interpretation of Jesus or a modernizing of Christianity to, to be in line or harmony with our culture. It's a beautiful and centric aspect, centric aspect of the good news of Jesus, which stands apart from society. It affirms the character of Jesus, one with God who created all people, equal, and who watched his beloved people turn in hatred toward one another and in conflict among themselves and selfishness away from him. The fact that we are included is not a sense of justice. The gospel is so heavily unjust in so many ways and that the wrong person bore the shame of our brokenness. The wrong person wore it. The wrong person was scorned for it. The wrong person's body was torn for it. This isn't justice. It's radical, transformative love of Jesus. This is grace. Allow the inclusion of Jesus to wash over you. Receive it and receive the promises that he has secured for you. Gifts you could never earn, yet gifts that are freely yours through faith. God is good. And I'm so glad that the inclusion of Christ stands apart from societies. There's a few really key ways that it does. Um, just to illustrate a few, Jesus' inclusion welcomes the broken. Uh, if we if we dive into that, we see the the uh, just for example a guy named Saul who was hunting down Christians, hating them, sponsoring their killing, and in fact on the prowl for them when he was he was encountered uh, or he encountered Jesus, and Jesus included him into his plan to bring the good news to the world. Like Jesus at that sorry Saul at that moment, he was hunting Christians, and Jesus welcomes this broken man. Whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. So to those of us who are salt and light, let's welcome the soul and allow Jesus to transform into the Paul. And to those who are included, which is all of us, know that with Jesus, everything changes. Jesus' inclusion also leads to participation. It's important to know, right? Right from the beginning, when he calls his disciples, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At the very start, the trajectory was to participate in the work of the community you are joining. To join and be included with Jesus was to join with him, to participate with his work. To be his disciples, but more so to be disciples who make disciples. You know, your new bassist in your band, he isn't really included until he is plucking away or your drummer is tapping away, right? They're not part of the band unless they're actually playing. Otherwise, they're just spectators or crowds. We aren't called to be crowds. Jesus includes us to be participants in his work. 
And Jesus' inclusion also values others. Steve's uh, message a few weeks, he was unpacking how a story where a woman came and washed Jesus' feet was met with disgust and disbelief by people in the room who were like, if Jesus was a prophet, he'd know this person's a sinner and he would distance himself. Where others saw a wasteful act, Jesus saw a woman expressing worship. And what did the people get wrong? They they didn't see her. Like Jesus asked the question, do you see this woman? And after he asked that question, he goes on to unpack the heavenly perspective with which he sees this woman, right? And that's where they got it wrong. They didn't see this woman how Jesus does. Because if you saw her how she how Jesus did, then you would come to value her in the same way. And I wonder how shifting how you see others will improve your propensity to include them. So as, as we near Christmas, uh, we want to celebrate the beautiful good news of Jesus Christ. We've explored the forgiveness, the freedom, the purpose and inclusion of the gospel. As I close up, I want to speak to two groups. Firstly, to those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want to reemphasize that this good news is for you. That in Jesus, you will find forgiveness. You are not defined by your past. Freedom is yours in Jesus as things that have held you captive are broken in Jesus' name. Purpose is also yours in Jesus, as we all have purpose in Christ, even the most unlikely. And regardless of how society positions us, Jesus positions and esteems us as family. This is the invitation that Jesus offers you. With Jesus, everything changes. And to you who have a relationship with Jesus, revel in, dance in this beautiful gospel. Enjoy it and celebrate it. But don't stop there. Jesus' heart, I don't think, was just for us to simply gorge out at the banquet of good news and promises of God. Just to feast on it ourselves. I know that Jesus' heart is for us to invite others to that table, to bring them in to give them a seat and to eat together. As salt and light, how will you join with Jesus to bring this good news to our world?